I was not comfortable playing in front of an audience for until I was at least hmm, maybe 21, 20, something like this, you know? And, you know, and at some point you learn how to deal with it because it's very strange. You sit on the stage, it's silent, like almost like in the church or like in the synagogue or somewhere, you know? The, you see, the people stare at you like in the zoo. You know, you're like a monkey in the zoo. People stare at you and then they wait for the trick. You need to make a trick. You are listening to Strings Attached. I'm Asaf Maon. I've been a musician most of my life and I love talking about music-related topics and see how they connect. My guest today is Stefan Konz. He played in probably two of the top orchestras in the world. He's been playing in some really cool groups and talks beautifully about what music is for him and how we all should expose children to music at younger age. If you like this episode, please rate it or give it a review on Spotify or Apple and feel free to ask us questions on the Strings Attached Facebook page. So hello, my name is Stefan. I'm, I don't know, I'm a musician. I play cello. Uh, uh, I love music. Doesn't matter whether it's written down or not, or I like to play around with notes. And well, that's about it. Stefan, you grew up in, in Austria and you are brought up in a family that is everything has to, had to do with music. Can you speak a bit about your upbringing? What was it like to grow up in a family that everybody were in touch with music? I guess it's similar to uh, families where they have a certain craft, uh, uh, practicing a certain craft over, over generations. And somehow um, my, par- my, my parents and my siblings and also my, actually my family-in-law and my wife and everybody, is, everybody are musicians. So it's, uh, you know, it's, you grow up with music around you all day long. And so it's like the most normal thing. Um, and it's also a game. I mean, you know, there's it's like toys, the instruments laying around and you just, you know, use whatever is there. And you, of course, want to play along the older ones. And so, yeah, it's, it's a, it was a very, what should I say? It, when it's, it was an idyllic childhood. I think with you, the realization that you are becoming a musician came in a very early age. When did, do you remember you that you thought to yourself, okay, this is something I'm going to do because I love it so much? Such an uh, omnipresence in the family's life that it's kind of a normal thing that you will think, well, when you grow up, everybody plays an instrument, obviously. You know, like everybody that you are surrounded is somehow related to With music making so it's for a child since you have like a limited you know uh, horizon you just think that everybody does does it when they're older never I mean you know later on in life maybe of course it crossed your mind maybe to do something else also once in a while when it was difficult but generally uh, music was always uh, yeah it was always like a, a normal thing. I asked you to join the, the podcast today because you are doing so many different things, taking so many different aspects of music, music making. And I wanted to try and touch some of the things you're doing in order to maybe give my audience the opportunity to understand how much can one do. So you, at some point, played in the Berliner Philharmonica in the Karajan Academy. 
which is like the how to say the student's opportunity for someone to play in such a great orchestra. How did it feel like playing in this orchestra as a youngster? I think one has to go a little bit further back because of course, I mean, being a, you know, like a stipendiat, like you get a scholarship and then you are kind of, a, um, to get lessons there and you play with the orchestra and it's a great opportunity, of course. But generally the seed of like being excited about playing symphonic repertoire was, uh, was kind of ingrained in me much earlier. Like when, really when I was around six, seven, eight years old, um, we were listening to a lot of recordings at home. And it's since my dad is a conductor, it used to be a lot of symphonic repertoire. So actually not much, not much piano music, not much, you know, other instrumental music is really symphonic repertoire. And so ever since then, playing in an orchestra was a, a really cool thing. I mean, for us as children, we were attend, attending the, rehearsal of, of of our father and every time we went to the rehearsal it seemed like everybody who was sitting in the orchestra they're like the coolest dudes on on earth like you know the timpani player was the king absolutely so first of course you were easily impressed by big instruments and everything we wanted to play timpani so my parents who are like you know they support Child, child, childish enthusiasm, so to speak, or or infantile enthusiasm. They bought actually timpanis for us. Wow. So we had timpanis at home and various percussion instruments. And we asked and we begged our father to bring home the timpani parts and the percussion parts for for the symphonic repertoire because we wanted to play along recordings because we wanted to be you know we wanted to play in an orchestra. It was really the dream at this early age to just, you know, play along, like, you know, be part, be, be in the same sandbox on the playground. You know, you see other kids playing at the, in the sandbox with some caterpillar. Of course, you want to join them and play also along. So it was exactly like this, this, this kind of enthusiasm. And so it started basically with playing orchestra instruments along recordings and reading orchestra parts in a way and reading scores. And of course, I mean, I was learning how to play cello. I started playing cello and piano and everything, but maybe not so much with the with the intent of you know being a instrumentalist or a soloist, but really more to be able to play symphonic repertoire. That was the first you know mot motivation. I don't know. Coming back to your question about this current academy, this was just like a evolutionary step, let's say, from the very early experiences in, in, you know, in ensemble playing. And then, of course, it's nice. I mean, you know, the, those guys are also heroes in this orchestra. So it was very cool to be able to join them there. Were you at, at some point intimidated or, uh, I don't know, feeling a bit lesser mm. of a person uh, or a musician at this point? For this, I have to say at this point, maybe also having had, you know, it was not the first time. To, to play in an orchestra or in an ensemble. So as with everything in life, not just music, but with any activity, if you do something, let's say, for X amount of hours and for X amount of years, then you feel kind of, you know, at comfort with it. And then, you know, things cannot shock you so easily, you know. So, I mean, of course, it was a great experience. And for me, I can personally say that this this, this time in life at the 
I was around 20 when I, when I was, when I got the scholarship there, it was really, it changed my life for sure. Probably the most significant time, uh, for me personally. And yeah, I mean, I'm grateful for the opportunity. Absolutely. And I can only uh, recommend to any aspiring musician to, 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 to strive for having this experience. It's, it's probably going to give you an extra amount of energy for any other musical endeavors that you're aiming for later on. So you are very fortunate and lucky and obviously very good. You got this uh, stipend to, to play in the Karian Academy and then you win a job in the Vienna Philharmonic in the, in the state opera. So when you are there, when you get the scholarship there at the Berlin Philharmonic Academy, then you are basically surrounded by other you know, scholarship holders. Let, let's say you have two, two other cellists and you have many violinists, there's violists, there's wind players. You know, it's basically a small little orchestra of academies within the big orchestra. And you can see that in this program is usually for two years. And you can see within these two years that, oh, this, this uh, colleague gets a job there. The other colleague gets a job there. And you kind of think, ooh, it's, it's about time that you, you know, you also find your way because the two years will end. And inevitably, of course, once you had a taste of a very good, you know, of a, of a great meal or of a great wine or something, you don't want to have, you know, I mean, you're fighting for not having to, 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 you know, to downgrade afterwards, you know. So in a way, it was a good push that, and but I I would say I wouldn't say in a way of pressure, but more it was a good push that you 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 know you set the steer of your car in the right direction and then try to you know make your way in in a certain uh, certain direction. So in a way, you 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 started playing in Vienna, and basically you're I want to say coming back home, sort of you know coming back to Austria. Did you feel, did you feel more more local there or? No, yeah, I have to I have to add that you know. So before I got the scholarship in Berlin, I already had uh, I got to know the Vienna Philharmonic quite a bit because I was playing there as an extra as a sub substitute player, and they, so I kind of knew them and knew what their what 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 the deal there is the, the the music making and the opera and all of this so um i was not starting from zero going to the vienna philharmonic but of course um it was still not so easy after after having had the experience in berlin um especially the cello section in berlin all the cello players there are remarkable instrumentalists and a very good bunch of people like very uh just a great group uh to be in uh on the human and musician uh, on the musical level so um and it, it was hard it was a little tough to go back to vienna in a way i mean despite all the greatness of the orchestra and of the music making i really enjoyed the music making and the, the opera repertoire which is of course a whole animal by itself of course the, the only way to to play this operatic repertoire is if you play also sometimes in the opera orchestra so it's like a, it was it's a nice mix there you know it's really i i, I can only like bow and, and be grateful for 
the role music plays in this country and in the city, especially. I mean, it has a it, it's a top priority for people music in the city. It really is. So, and it was apparent, like for instance, when I was in Berlin and I was looking for an apartment to rent, it was like you know I looked together with my back then girlfriend and and we were asking the the landlord whether we could rent it and this and they said what we are doing and I said well you know I. I'm the host musician. I'm a professional musician. And they said, I'm there in the Berlin. I said, in the Berlin Philharmonic. And they said, oh, no, 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 no. No professional musicians in this apartment, you know, so no way. So then we didn't get the apartment. I was a little bit surprised because before in Vienna, if I would have asked to rent a place somewhere, and if they hear you're a musician, they will be happy that some, you know, music is coming to the house, so to speak, you know. So it's like a, it's a different, you know. So in Vienna, they really love music. I mean, to a very, it's a state affair, almost, I would say. In previous episodes with my guests, I was talking about preparation, mental preparation for auditions, and also how to, how to bring yourself applying for an audition. From Vienna, you chose to audition back again to the Berliner Philharmonica. Do you remember how, how you prepared yourself to take the audition to an orchestra that you already know? coming back, so to speak, to, to a place that is known, a familiar place to you? First of all, it's, uh, as an orchestra, it's usually it's a privilege that you as an orchestra and as a, as a community can decide who is your new colleague, your new uh, playmate, so to speak. You know, It's very rare in business. It's not usual that the whole company decides who will be their colleague. You know, It's usually like one... In the human resources, uh, some managers that decide, okay, we have applicants. This will be your new colleague here at <laughs> your table. Please share the table, you know. So, and but in you know in yeah, in general, otherwise in Europe it's a little bit more rigid, I would say. And um, so you have a few rounds, and then you know, let's say from forty fifty people, there's one left in the end, which is being hired. And of course, you wonder especially if you are not really familiar with music, you wonder how can they decide who this one person is because they all play the same piece, basically. It all sounds very similar. It's all on a certain level. So why does this one person get it? You know, what is it? Is it because the resume is so great, is the CV? Is it because, you know, what is it? Is it magic? I'm asking myself this also because I, now I'm sitting on the other side. I'm listening to auditions from, from you know, for the Berlin Philharmonic. I listen to, to trombone auditions, to contrabassoon auditions, to piccolo auditions. I listen to everything. And we're sitting in the big hall and, you know, the people basically come on stage and play a little recital. And then you also wonder, so why is it so clear that this one person is by far better than the others? Is it because he's technically better? Is it because... What is it? And for me now, after all these years, it becomes more clear that it's a communicative power. It's it's uh, the person that is able to most clearly like convey on a communicate on a musical communicative level the music. Uh, he will he will he will get it. And it's uh, it, and now. Retrospectively, it would be easier, I think, to prepare for an audition because now I, more, I understand more and more what what it means, not only for auditions, but generally for music. 
how clear you have to be, how clear you have to express yourself in order to be understood by the audience. You think maybe it's a little bit unfair that we learn this in a very late age instead of, you know, I wish we could have known it when we were 15 exactly. or 20. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a good point. Absolutely. I agree. I mean, it's, it's a little bit unfair. And if you listen, let's say, you, if you listen to your own, you know, you, you record yourself once in a while, you have some recordings. And if you listen to them when you are like in the beginning of the 20s, you think, wow, this is very timid. This is like almost very flat. You could have done much more. You, you barely understand what you did back then. Having played in Vienna and Berlin, can you point out maybe one advantage point to each of these orchestras something that stands out if you are uh, passionate about cars for instance you, you can definitely think you know the vienna and the Berlin phil they're all expensive cars you know so to speak but maybe the vienna phil is more like has a very has a powerful but Like car and more like more like a V12 Royce Royce motor, you know, like not not too agile, you know. Whereas the Berlin Philharmonic is definitely at your at the foot tip. They can accelerate immediately. Like it's like more Lamborghini style, you know, it's a different style of cars. So it's but definitely in Berlin, um, the the the, the, the team spirit is is different. Um, it's really more. I I was just thinking the other day. It's more like Bayern München, like a soccer team where you know, okay, individual players are great. And if they have fun together, the result can be outstanding, you know. But, you know, sometimes if the vibes on stage are not so great, they don't care so much about the, how should I say, the homogeneity. And in Vienna, it's more like you have a great, uh, well-oiled machine uh, where the individual will tone down their own expressivity for the sake of a homogeneous um, result. I love it. You know, I, I want to take you a few years forward. Of course, you're, you're playing a lot of chamber music, a lot of activities, the 12 cellists of the Berlin Philharmonica. But at some point, you formed this group of musicians called the Philharmonics. You guys play, maybe you should say, what kind of, what is this style of music that you're playing? Hmm. It's a good question. I mean, so Philharmonics is basically, a, again, like a, you know, an ensemble of, of, of playmates from the sandbox. I mean, some of the members, we are seven people. And like, for instance, there's my, my friend from Berlin Philharmonic, the concertmaster Noah Bendix Borgli. And there's some, some people from Vienna Philharmonic, also Daniel, the clarinet player, and the bass player. All, 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 you know, we are seven people. And um, so we decided at some point to, because you're limited, again, on symphonic repertoire in the orchestra, of course, and you need to, if you want to play anything else, also outside of classical music, there's no way, you know, and, and to do it seriously on stage. You can only listen to it, you can't do it. So it's, of course, quite limiting. And uh, regardless of, of course, rather... Uh, what shall I say, questionable 
attempts before with like you know like crossover projects and everything we still wanted to do something you know maybe not too commercial you know and so basically we 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 dug in in our own personal roots hungarian you know klezmer also hungarian folk music romanian folk music klezmer of course daniel our clarinet player is a big fan of arty shaw so of swing and jazz you know clarinet playing and so we have various uh, and our second fiddler sebastian he he's also composing a lot and singing a lot so we we have all, basically we have a show with with very uh, different kinds of musics uh, which we enjoy to play and also this is basically what you know we do this in our free time so to speak so it's like our you know it's our joy to do it you know and so the um also, our programs are basically just based on the question, guys. What do we want to play today, tonight? What, what is you know, what is our desire? What do we want to play? Because we have no printed program, we are just you know, our clarinet player Daniel, he's just um, um, talking through the evening what's happening, and so that's we just have sets in the evening, and the people come, you know, and hopefully have a good time, and we have a good time, and that's about it, you know. So for this for this ensemble for this group, you took a, a, a new skill or a different skill, and you started writing arrangements. You started to compose. Is this something that was a passion of yours before, or is something that you, with time, you you realize that you have to do it? No, I I have to admit I was like I liked to to put notes down on the paper from early age on, and this was like. I remember um, as kids, we were listening a lot also. I don't know, the first biggest influence was, funnily enough, Bela Bartok. The, the mu- I, mean, I remember vividly this music for, uh, for strings, percussion, and celesta is like a, a masterpiece. Uh, anyways, but this was like a strong influence and somehow gave gave uh, inspiration to try something like this when I was uh, earlier. I mean, when I was eight, nine years old, something like this. And from this point on, it never kind of disappeared this this urge of writing music or just even doing notation work like for instance to write as we spoke before about our timpani enthusiasm we had to write from the big score you know with all the instruments inside we extracted the timpani part and wrote it you know wrote it out because back then you didn't have computers to, to do it or to you know and so it was a good practice also to learn how to how to make a good orchestral part, you know, and everything. But so from this moment on, we also always like to put notes on on paper, basically. So there was various things coming in, and most recently, for instance, I mean, I'm a big fan of John Williams, of course, and I have studied a lot of his scores. For me, he's like the biggest living. For instance, it's like it's a very nice small niche is the orchestra fanfares, you know, like very festive music with a lot of brass. So he has written a lot of them, like at least 20 and maybe six or seven are very known, but he wrote even more. And so I thought, you know, this is the only dude who's doing it. I should do it too. You know, somebody needs to, you know, <laughs> do it as well because nobody does. It. So I thought, okay, uh, let's do it. And there was, um, so I wrote myself also a little like orchestra from far and then I recorded it, you know, in London and everything. And it gave me pleasure, you know, so this is like the, 
it, it's, it's a little bit like as a child, you have your Lego, you know, and you think, wow, this is a cool tower. I want to build another tower like this, you know? And then you just, you know, you try to not be too foolish about it and try to do well, you know, and make a good construction that will hold well, you know? And then you look at it and you can a little bit proud, you know, it's like a child. It's nothing else. In, in, this, re in this recording that you made, were you the conductor as well? Yeah, also. And so this is what I mean. It's, it's kind of, you know, it was the Philharmonia Orchestra in London, you know, and it's like kind of, you think, well, you know, so there was also cello music being recorded and everything. But of course, you think before, well, this is like a fucking crazy, you know, like <laughs> this is like a, it's, this is like a fantastic orchestra. And now, not only do they have to play the first fanfare of like a, 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 a time a part-time composer, but he's also going to con conduct them. I mean, I have to admit, I have been also studying conducting and I have had conducting experience before, but still, you know, so. And of course, uh, if I wouldn't have had experience before with this, I would probably die, have a heart attack right there, you know. But somehow, you, you know, in your enthusiasm, you just get over it. And you again, you just try to be not too foolish about it. And just do try to not to not fuck up too much. That's all, you know. You were talking so beautifully about your upbringing with your family and your father being a conductor, and your younger brother Christoph is is a violinist, a fantastic violinist, but also a conductor. Now, um, that's yes, a, world, a, 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 exactly. a world kind of. Uh, he has a very nice job coming up, and yes, and you picking up the the baton. Is this something that you guys expected? Or something no. that, because you needed another endeavor because the playing the instrument was too easy. No, not at all. It's there's you know it's a different challenge. Come on, it's like the playing the instrument poses enough uh, uh, how to say difficulties. Some aspects of playing an instrument on in the Western classical music on a high level is monkey business. It's like we are talking about the milli, micro millimeter business, and of course. I generously say that I don't care so much about this because it's not, how to say, for me, the essence of music is not so much connected to it. Still, it is very impressive if people can deliver, like, you know, impeccably on this. I'm absolutely, like, in awe. But I can also see how much work there was behind it. But nevertheless, as an audience, I think uh, you can be impressed by something like this, but still, if somebody has this mature artistry and can tell you something on stage with the music, it can kind of, I mean, I always, I mean, all of Daniel Bachenboim, because he, for me, when he plays something, he plays it as, it is so clear musically and so free at the same moment. You can always write, you know, he can be the, has the most free rubato, like, like when he takes time forward, backward, whatever, but it's so clear and so logical, you can always uh, write it down what he's writing, playing. But in generally, and he 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 communicates the music so clearly that the audience is it's clear to the audience what's happening, like musically and on stage. So for me, this is like this is the um, the pinnacle, and this this works, you know, also without a millimeter, uh, micro millimeter monkey business. Of course, at some point you have to have practiced and and you know been able to control all of this. But in the end, you can play two notes. Brownworm Stone plays three notes, and it's clear that you know the master is speaking. You know, so it's uh, and with conducting, it's it's 
for me personally, for instance, when since I also write music, for me, I can now I understand much clearer that as I conducted, especially in earlier days of music industry, so to speak, in the beginning of the 20th century, you had usually the conductor was a composer. I mean, you had Mahler, of course, who was a composer. He was not, and he, by the way, he was a fantastic conductor. And nowadays we forget that, or we, for us it's not so clear because we never saw or heard him conduct, but he was a composer, of course, notable composer, and the conducting business. Richard Strauss, the same. He was famous, of course, for his compositions, but the conducting stood out completely also. And this goes on. Furt Wengler himself saw himself as a composer, not as a conductor. Nolan's Wolans, he had to co conduct, you know, but in a way, for me, I, the conducting, also when you compose or write music, then you feel much freer as a conductor because you basically, you know, you're more in charge of the music text, like as a composer. And of course, you have to sort it because it has to be performed somehow. But I'm becoming more and more, how to say, convinced that it would be good also for the younger generation of, of conductors and everybody to, you know, have the composition thing going. It's without, it's somehow symbiotic, you know. And um, so for me personally, if I conduct, it's mostly because, you know, Something needs to be performed somehow. It's like it's not uh, to you know to produce myself as a you know uh, way uh, you know dividing air with a stick. You know, I, not uh, that's not not for me. Stefan, uh, what what is the next en endeavor? What's uh, what's happening next? What are you learning now? Challenges are you know showing themselves around the corner unexpectedly. You know, I would say it like this, and I just. So far, basically, my 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 musical life so far has been always like this: things just happen, you know, and you just you just don't you know you don't push them away. You just take the challenge and try to you know again you do something the first time. I think also with philharmonics and with writing music and with also playing in front of an audience. I remember I was not comfortable playing in front of an audience for until I was at least. Hmm, maybe 21, 20, something like this, you know? And, you know, and at some point you learn how to deal with it because it's very strange. You sit on the stage, it's silent, like almost like in the church or like in the synagogue or somewhere, you know? The, you see, the people stare at you like in the zoo, you know? You're like a monkey in the zoo. People stare at you and then they wait for the trick. You need to make a trick because they paid money. They want to see some trick, you know? So it's strange. And how to learn how to deal with this and to kind of grab the audience, actually also enjoy the moment that you have them now, you have their attention, so you do something with it, you know? It takes, seize the opportunity. You have their attention, seize the opportunity and tell them something. This one opportunity with, together with, of course, stage fright, uh, uh, technical like thoughts of wow, how is this going? So all this combination. So uh, until, how, until you learn how to, uh, you know, to focus on what is the priority, it takes a while, you know. So and then you know, so that's why you need patience with this whole whole thing. Everybody needs to have patience. The audience, the, the, the performer, the composer, everybody just needs to. It comes, you know. 
So I, I hear you talk and doing all these things, and I know you have a beautiful family. How do you have time for your family, for your kids? How do you how do you manage time? I mean, you know, how everybody's struggling. I mean, you know, you are struggling, I'm struggling, everybody struggles. It's, you know, with the kids <laughs> and with the music, and yeah, it's, it's like a normal thing, of course, to struggle somewhat. But of course, uh, on the other hand, um, the kids are also my kids, are just surrounded with music, like I was maybe. And we, I try, what I try, um, first of all, I would be happy if they understand what I'm doing, you know, like the, if they understand, at least have a, have an insight into the craft of of music making and of everything. I'm not saying they should be professional musicians or anything, but they, if they should have a craft uh, insight into it, and also they should feel what joy it gives me. Like basically, I can never get enough of music in a way. It's it's really it's a, it's a drug, you know. And if I'm, we play a lot of music with the kids at home, you know, I'm sitting at the piano and they play all kinds of instruments and. And, and they go, they go, they go crazy. They, they, you know, we all, we all go crazy. So it's like in these kind of sessions, they, I feel that they understand what is the, why there is music in the first place. And this is what, coming back to what I said in the beginning. What's the reason why there is music? It's, it's very important for kids to first understand this, not to you know move a finger on a fingerboard or play guitar or whatever. It's like also important, but first they have to understand. That it gives them joy, you know, like that the endorphins are coming, and it's, you move to it and you sing, and everything is wonderful, you know. And this is it's like a medicine, you know. It's like a healing. It's a healing function. I like to finish my episodes with a, a recommendation for a film, a book, anything that you think that you experienced lately that maybe will make our my listeners, our listeners, happy. Something so simple as music to recommend. It would be really. I have recently had a, um, was listening and playing with the kids a lot of uh, uh, actually a baroque group that is has found a beautiful um, autograph of basically gypsy tunes from the 17th century. So that means you really know what the folk music was like back then, like 400 years ago, you know. And it's called this. This is called Telemann. But, uh, uh, Telemann, Gypsy Telemann, it's called from this composer, and this is really the, I'm, I'm, I got so uh, high on it, so to speak, and also <laughs> also the kids that I really recommend listening to this. It's, it's, it's from the Ensemble Caprice, it's called, and it's called Gypsy Telemann. Thank you, Stefan, for your beautiful insights. The music you heard in this episode is composed and conducted by Stefan. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, or my email address, all in this episode's show notes. I'm Asaf Maoz, and thank you for listening to Strings Attached. <laughs>